Morning, guys. Or afternoon. In fact, I don't know when you listen to this podcast, but <laughs> welcome back to the Anson's Podcast. Much like the Truman Show, we can just throw at you. Morning, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. So anyway, Truman Show aside, we have a fantastic guest for you today. YNAB, You Need a Budget, is sort of the powerhouse of the budgeting tools. It's a company with an international presence. Uh, it's a tool that I personally found very useful. And today we had the opportunity to talk with the founder of You Need a Budget, Jesse Meekum. This is a conversation that I was really intrigued to see how it was going to go because I'm not personally a finance guy. I didn't go into the world of business. I'm not someone who gets all excited about penny pinching. In fact, I feel a little bit of embarrassment when it comes to my budget. And actually, I'm not alone. What I found really great about this conversation was the ways that shame can enter into financing and budgeting and how that can totally dictate how you end up living your life if you're not aware of it and if you're not moving past the shame and giving yourself tools to handle it. Yeah, and this probably isn't a surprise, but if you are going to establish a global budgeting platform, you probably have to have some pretty unique insights into cash and into managing it. And there's some really interesting pieces here on money as a way of building priorities and then supporting those priorities. So fascinating podcast here that we're excited about as part of building a knowledge base to become better and better at actually managing our kingdoms. Jesse, thank you for giving us a little bit of your time today. We're super excited to have you on the podcast and to get to, to dive into something that's been kind of new for us, embarrassingly so. I feel like it took us a long time to get a handle on personally my finances, my budget. I mean, it felt like the only advice I was ever given was the envelope method. And truthfully, I had to go dig up some quarters the other day because I just I live in a, a world without cash. So the envelope method was off the table. But Blaine... Why don't you you kick us off here? Yeah, so actually kind of where I want to start is, Jesse, you have a book coming out. And what I want to know is, you already have started a popular budgeting software. You already have, you know, uh, a company that helps people manage their money. Why did you need to also write a book? Yeah, the, the book is probably about five years late, but it's, uh, I noticed as... I mean, I started this in 2004 when I was actually just still had a few years of my degree left for in college. So I, I started when I was, gosh, would have been 23 at the time, young and uh, still learning, newly married. And I just started kind of thinking, hey, this worked for me and for my wife, Julie, it worked for us. So it could work for other people. And, and I just threw it out there. And then over the last 13, 14 years, uh, as you just help more and more people, and it's now into you know the hundreds of thousands of people. You, you start to kind of really bear down on what uh, is effective and, and how we should really be thinking about things. So I wouldn't say I've completely revamped how I think about things, but it's, it's kind of the book has been the perfect medium for me to have this final, not final, hopefully, but a culmination of learning up to this point, put into the best format I could possibly think of it, have it go through a super rigorous editorial process that was painful and all that belongs with that. But just kind of say, okay, here's what we've learned over the last decade plus in teaching people how to rethink their money or maybe think about it the first time. And uh, I was, I'm frankly excited to get it all out there because it's a lot of stuff we knew. 
and we've been kind of working into our workshops and things, but to have it all in a one-stop shop book form where people aren't feeling like, oh, it's about software or, oh, it's about this tool. It's just about the thinking, you know, you're just you and your money, how you think about it and then how you apply that thinking to your life. And that it was exciting for me to kind of break away from the tool mindset and just get into people's brains a little bit. I know that in that rigorous editorial process that you described, which can be extremely painful, sometimes surprising pieces of content get created, sometimes surprising pieces get emphasized. Was there anything that comes to mind in the process of crafting this book that surprised you, a piece of your thinking that ended up being emphasized that you hadn't expected, or was it all pretty there from the get-go? I mean, there was a lot from the get-go. We had we we knew where we wanted to go. What really surprised me in this this thread that that just kind of crawled throughout the book uh, that was new for me was how little we talked about nuts and bolts money and how much more we talked about priorities, goals, and not like goal setting or things like that. Like there there are too many books, plenty of books have been written about you know setting and achieving goals, but the deep thinking around okay, here's your money. It's this resource that is a representation of your life, like what you are spending your life doing. Here it is. And it's in this form we call money. And so what are we going to do with your life? And that thread just kept beating on me over and over as we were going through the whole process. And that's what really surprised me was how it is definitely a book about money and it will definitely change how you think about money, but it really is framed. Everything's framed through that lens of, what do I want my life to be like? And then money is just a tool, the only tool we have to really make that happen. That feels like a really mature shift that happens, right? Like the day-to-day is the survival mentality. It's the, like, I just gotta get to the end of the day. And once you have that accomplished, whether that's for food or work, and then certainly in this case, money, there's this there's a really mature shift that happens when you begin to look long-term and I, I know that that it almost sounds, that sounds like this conference type talk that I would would feel intimidated to attend. Like, okay, so what what's your investments and what are your, where's your where's your holdings and what's your retirement gonna yeah. look like? And I'd be like, I just I just overspent for pizza. I, I, there's there's yeah. that, it feels like there's a there's a range there, right? For your, for people that are beginning and then maturing in this walk with money. Absolutely. And what's what's interesting is you start everyone regardless of where they are on that path. You start everyone at the exact same spot, and that—that's uh, one thing we learned early on. And it, we start—we do the same thing with the book. Where I, I was just interviewing a, one of our, our users that you know he's making about two hundred grand a year, a very, very great income, puts him in top whatever percent you know of, of Earth on that with that income. And um, when he started, he was completely stressed out. He had five hundred bucks in his bank account, and it, it stressed him out completely. The average person that starts with us has three hundred dollars in their bank account, even though he was probably at least two x on you know two more than two x of what people are making. What it comes down to is not really even how much you're making, but everyone has this stress that comes from this very core question. This is where we start the book. It's like, can I afford this? Can I afford the pizza? Can I afford this house? They're both stressful. One has bigger ramifications, but they both cause stress. And so we try and get people just to start there and say, okay, where does this stress come from? Okay, here's it comes from the fact that your money perhaps isn't lined up with what you actually want. And if we can get there and get the money lined up, whether it's $10 or 10000 that stress just kind of melts away. You don't have to bring in more. You don't have to cut your spending. 
you just have to line things up, stress goes away. There are real situations that are going to be stressful because we're all alive and we're surviving, right? And so there, there are those stresses that we deal with. We, you know, you get in a car accident, a medical emergency, a job loss, real stresses. But we should not be stressing about can I afford this pizza? You know, that that's just that's a waste, really. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think it's we've safely got everybody hooked at this point, and I want to dive in yeah. to the theory, <laughs> and I want to dive into your method uh, and get talking about. I mean, I should probably out ourselves that, you know. Sab and I both use YNAB. Sorry, YNAB, you didn't sponsor this podcast. We just like it. Um, but just uh, there we go. returning to, there's your plug right there. First one's free. Um, <laughs> you mentioned that this got going when you were 23 and out of college. Love to hear some of that story. Where did this start? Where did you begin kind of grappling with the problems around money out of which these solutions came? So I married young. So I married when I was 22. And we started out poor. We were students, and my wife was was majoring in social work, so she didn't have this, you know, lots of money as a prospect once she graduated. I think when she finished school in, in two thousand four, a year after we we got married, she was making like ten bucks an hour with you know with her degree full fledged, and that was almost like the cap on her earnings. Um, I still had several years left of school, and so we were just broke uh, naturally, and we we decided we would budget together and just be careful with our money. And for me, that meant, hey, I'll, I'll put together a spreadsheet. We'll track it all. And Julie, uh, she's not a numbers type, but she was, you know, she's like, okay, yeah, we'll do that. And I kind of ran the show and did the tinkering. And she, you know, she and I both would just do the decision making together. Uh, we did that for about a year. And then uh, we got pregnant quickly as well. And our first child was coming along. And I realized, despite our really good savings rate in, in, with a meager income, Despite the fact that we were being super frugal, a uh, frugality level that it would be, I would be hard pressed to reach now, to be honest. We we still weren't going to be able to make it through school without my taking on some debt to finish, and I did not want to borrow any money. So that was what gave me the idea to maybe I could sell this system that we've developed, and you know make enough to cover our rent. And our rent was three hundred fifty bucks at the time. So I thought, hey. That's that seems doable. Julie said I shouldn't do it. She's like, I don't think that'll work. But I ignored her for that one little piece, you know, one little moment in time. I, I didn't take her advice on it, and uh, we we launched it in September of 2004. So that's it, it. Came about because things were scarce, and that's why I'll always have a, a special place in my heart for the idea of running out of money because sometimes it can drive you to do things that uh, would surprise you. So you've just mentioned so many of the pieces of uh, frugality, of spending, wondering as a person is moving in to take possession, take some ownership of their funds. I know you eventually build this into, you know, a sequential process and you have your rules. I'm wondering if at the outset, someone walks in the door and you can just give them one of the most important things that they are going to need to know about their cash. What's what's one of the most important things you would do to frame the conversation of budgeting? It's just one question. It's if you want to get them going, and if you were to say, I have 10 seconds with this person, and then they're going to be on their way, I would ask them, uh, well, two questions. I'd say, how much money do you have in your in your bank account right now? And they would say, if they're on a, you know, if they're an average person, which is crazy, but they'd say $330. 
And uh, it depends on when their paycheck landed, right? <laughs> so I uh, say 330 bucks. And then I would use the last seven seconds and I would say, just a- answer this question or ask yourself this question and then answer it every single time you make money. What do I want my money that I have only on hand right now? What do I want this to do before I'm paid again? And if that person will ask themselves that question with the $300 they have on hand and then ask themselves that same question once they've earned more money, they will be light years ahead of where they were before. And uh, I would hope to have more time with them. But if I had 10 seconds, that would that would be what I would do. Okay, this this $330 thing, uh, this is news to me. Is this a statistic? Like this is the average that people have in their savings account? This is our own population, which is, uh, and I mean the YNAB population, YNABers, you know, the YNAB users. They, uh, we pulled quite a while ago, several years ago, and simply asked how much was in your checking account balance when you started. And the median, not average, because the average gets skewed, but the median was 330 bucks, which shocked me. Right. Shocked me. That, that, yeah. But uh, yeah, that was, that was where we were at. <laughs> So yeah, it's not um, representative of the United States, but it is. But it is probably because you know wine averages aren't particularly different in any way. You know, we stretch across, stretch across the entire country. I actually find it so encouraging. Like, there's this part uh, when money isn't going well, and when I have conversations with most guys my age, there's kind of this this shame of I'm, I'm not handling it super well. I know I'm not, but I'm not going to do anything about it because I just don't know what to do. And just hearing that the average is $330, I think is really freeing because it takes away this, like, you're the only one who's messing up. And if you're the only one who's messing up, then you can't really ever talk about it or learn about it because it's so embarrassing. But if this is a, a universal issue, which I mean, universal might be too broad, but widespread. A, a widespread uh you know, we're at 80 plus percent of the United States at least lives paycheck to paycheck. And when you're living paycheck to paycheck, that means you're med- that means you approach zero. So if you're approaching zero during your paycheck cycle, your median is going to be very, very low. So yeah, it's, I, I, maybe it's not universal, but it's, uh, yeah, widespread's a good word. It, it's bad. It's really bad. Yeah, it is. But it's, it's also encouraging to kind of go, you're not the only one who's dealing with this. And love the second question you would ask that person of begin looking forward rather than just bailing water out of the boat. Like you've got to, you got to have a vision in mind um, is is really, really good. So somehow over the course of uh, thinking about budgeting, developing, you need a budget, things got distilled to, you know, the four rules, the popular four rules you guys have of spending. Why those four? And where did that come from? What did the process look like of picking out, we can tell people four things to gain control of their money. It's going to be these four things. Yeah, I was rewriting my sales copy. That, that was the, uh, that was where they came from. So in 2005, early 2005, I was sitting there kind of wondering like, why aren't, why aren't I selling more of these? It was, I was selling so little I was thinking about closing shop, you know? So I mean, I, I had a CPA career on the horizon. That kind of thing was what was in my big plan. So this was just this little side gig. And I thought, man, how can I convey what we're selling here? And I, instead of trying to sell the system, I, I just started reworking the, the sales copy and thinking it through. And I just thought, well, what makes this unique? And the uniqueness was, the, was those rules. And I just didn't realize that Julie and I had been operating under the rules. I had never uh, expressed them in any way. They were just built in 
uh, you know, like gas pedals are on the right. And I, I don't know when we question that, but when we learn to drive, we're just like, oh, okay, there it is. And then that's the end. We never think about it again. And that was kind of what happened with me. Uh, we were just managing our money in this way. And I never decoupled things to realize that there were component parts that were consistent and were kind of the source of the efficacy. So when I rewrote it, I stumbled on those four and I've rewritten them and I've reordered them more for marketing purposes than uh, for any other reason. At the end of the day, they're all really components of just priorities, really. Every rule is just part of rule one. And rule one is give every dollar a job, meaning every dollar has to have a purpose. You need to have a priority attached to it to make sure that you're being proactive and looking forward with your money. And then the other three rules just follow along um, addressing prioritization, um, either prioritization for the future, prioritization when things change, or prioritization from a standpoint of giving yourself a, enough lag in your system where you're not spending money immediately on receiving it, but giving yourself a little bit of buffer time. We call it aging your money, where you'll be able to have some time between receiving money and actually having to spend it. And that time we found to be very, very useful for people in making better decisions and dropping their stress levels to almost zero with, as it relates to their money. Yeah, even with rule number one, I think that especially as a college student and as in the years after college, kind of my operative metaphor for money would be something like water. And it would either be like I'm leaving on a hike and I check a water bottle full of water and kind of eyeball it and go, yeah, I can kind of sip on that and I'll be able to do this. Or I'm monitoring, you know, a flow between two bodies of water and just kind of responding with a gut intuition of, oh, that looks like a good flow, or wow, that looks like it's going fast. I should restrict a little bit. But shifting that into there's, maybe you do have this bottle full of water, but parceling it into individual pieces that are all tasked to different things. Suddenly, it's not a passive thing that's happening. Like It's not like my energy where I'm like, I feel energetic today. I have a lot of money today. It's actually like it's a chess game where you're putting pieces on and then moving them forward methodically. Yeah. Jesse, I'd love for you to flesh that out a little bit more for us. When you say give every dollar a job and a purpose and, you, and you're more aware of where this, this flow is going, can you, can you flesh that out for somebody that has no idea what you mean by that? Absolutely. So uh, if, you were, if you had a pencil and paper, if you're not driving, listening to the podcast, you can just sit there. You would just write down what you have in your bank account right now, and that's, that's your, all your dollars. First mistake people make is they'll say, oh, I'm going to budget. And then they'll say, what will I earn? What, what will be coming in? And you should never, ever, ever do that unless you're just having fun, but not when you're budgeting. Do that when you're like career planning and doing pie in the sky, New Year's resolutions, like how to get a raise. That's fine. But don't, don't play with monopoly money. Don't say, I will earn, you know, five grand this month. Even if you work for the most stable employer of all time, never, ever budget money that you don't already have on hand because, well, it makes things super simple when we're just dealing with a real pile of money already in your checking account. So that said, you would take that pile, big or small, and you would say, what does this money need to do before I'm paid again? And you would just list literally, like the envelope thing you guys mentioned earlier on, I just list, okay, rent, uh, groceries. I want to go out some a couple of times. Friend, you know, my friend's having a party Friday, so I want to make sure I have some money for that. Uh, oh, and I think I'll take a taxi, so I'll set aside some money for that too. Just kind of going through as, until the money, Money runs out. So if you have a small pile, it'll run out fast. If you have a large pile and small obligations, it'll take a long time. But either way, you're just out literally giving 
those dollars saying your job is to pay for the taxi. Your job will be to pay for my lunch date next Thursday. And your job will be to pay for gas for the car. And that that's all you're doing. And you're setting them in their places. And I mean, if you were to go along with the hiking analogy, I was thinking about the 50 miler. We went on a few, few years ago with some scouts and I knew where water would be, you know, and if I had access to horses or something like that, and I could have gotten in there quickly, I would have been leaving, you know, caches of things along the way. And that's exactly what you're doing with your money. You're just kind of saying, okay, as I go through this next week, month, whatever, I want to have a cache there available. It's like the current version of yourself is thinking about the future you and kind of setting the future you up for success. Oh, you'll be at, you know, where these two rivers converge. Okay. I'll leave a cache here and you'll be ready. And then we'll come down a little further and this Canyon will split and I'll leave a cache for you there. And so you're doing the same thing. Oh, my future self wants to take a taxi. I'll leave some money for the taxi. My future self wants to pay for groceries. We'll leave some money for that. You're just, it's this conversation you're having constantly with your future self. Do you want to you know, throw them under the bus or do you want to set them up for some success? And that's, that's really what it is. Finite money distributed to very, very fixed specific jobs. And you'll be amazed if you do that on a piece of paper, how good you feel just with your current pile suddenly assigned to real things that, that you really wanted to do. It's really interesting because that level of intentionality contrasts I think one of the only tools that a lot of young guys have, which is just frugality of, you know, yeah. we're not going to plan very much, but what we're going to do is just keep our belt really tight and we'll also be okay. Have you found that as you've personally shared the method, is it difficult to get people to switch out of frugality as the highest value? I mean, well, it's a good thing into actually intentionality is a different thing. I, I, you know, honestly, most people are wired to, if you can get them to ask those questions, um, they're wired to kind of say, well, I do it because of, of this thing. So when you go to someone that's really frugal, you say, why are you so, what, what drives you? What motivates you to be so frugal? It might be fear, fear that they'll run out of money. And then you can, un, you know, peel that back a little bit. It might be, uh, they see it as a little bit as, as a game. So they, they see money as a bit of a score keeping system. But if you can ask why maybe five or six times, you'll get to someone's deeper reason. For some people, being really frugal is, is like a moral thing. And, and you can uncover that and be like, oh, okay, fascinating. Cool. Yeah, meet them there where they're at, where it's, it's like a moral play. For most people, it goes back a lot of times to upbringing or to experiences they had uh, when they were younger that kind of distilled that or instilled that. Um, what we do and what's really interesting, I kind of lead off in the book with this is, one thing I won't do is, is tell you what to do with your money. So people know I don't like debt, but I only don't like debt because it claims your money before you can give that money a job to do what you really want. So it, it's just, it hurts budgeting, you know, really bad. So I, I don't like debt for that reason. But I would never pretend to try and say, well, you should only eat out this much or gosh, I can't believe you bought that shirt, you know, or whatever, whatever it would be. Um, so I, I have a hard time even giving examples because I don't like it coming across. Like I used to say, oh, I wouldn't even judge. I don't even judge if you play a lot of golf. And in, in saying that, I've kind of thrown off the people that play golf. You know, they're, they're like, hey, what do you mean? Why do you have to use me as yeah, the example right. of the example you wouldn't use, you know? So so I, I have to be really careful with that. But yeah, we don't judge on whether people are frugal or they spend a ton. And I'm here in Manhattan right now doing the book promotion. And so I'm, my eyes have been open to this level of spending that is just crazy. It's just, it's absolutely crazy. 
And yet I see people just, it's totally normal to them, just absolutely normal. And so you just have to kind of say, okay, people are where they are. All we care about is just what you said, that they're intentional about what their money is doing. And as long as they're intentional and not hurting other people, man, I say, you know, go for it. It, it, it makes my job a lot easier, actually, just to promote the intention and not have to worry about the, the, you know, the specific things that people are actually choosing to do. So you mentioned slightly a little bit of this earlier, but I'm curious what motivated you to take your interest and your posture towards budgeting and present that to the world. To, was there something that you were trying to change the way people thought? Was there just uh, the hope of some secondary income in this kind of this philosophy? What was there something in you that went, looked around the world and went, ah, you know what? There's some things that we need to to fix. I'm curious what what all is the motivator there as you're talking about different people approaching spending in different ways and different backgrounds. Uh, what was what was motivating you in that area? I wish I could say it was like this deep calling, like maybe I woke up in the middle of the night and there was like a, a personage at the end of my bed and they told me that my calling was to teach people to line up their money with their priorities, but it was not that. It was making rent early, early on. So I wanted to hit that $350 a month so that Julie and I could get through school without having to borrow any money. That was my big grand vision. Yeah, that's so super I honest. Like that was, it was actually a little bit of a blessing to have such a small a uh, little baby vision, if you could even say it was a vision, because I wasn't impaired by any idea of grandeur. I just thought, oh, well, I can do this, right? Where I feel like some guys, especially if you're starting out, you know, maybe after college, you've got this dream, you've got this business idea, and we're getting into a whole other realm of love. But And sometimes the vision can cause you to stop. Like the vision doesn't drive you. The vision can actually constrain you because you just think, well, gosh, that's way bigger than I am. That's way bigger than my skills that, you know, that, that would require a network far greater than my network, whatever it may be. You, you see this vision and you just, you're kind of overwhelmed where if you can start small and just say, I'd love to make an extra 350 bucks a month. Suddenly you don't need big vision, but gosh, anyone can figure out that. And I was one of those anyone's that did. And so that was, that was my original motivator. And now just little bit by little bit, I, I bailed on the CPA career. I, I got the CPA license, did the, the horrific tests and passed them all, but then let it lapse immediately and just dove into this because I was, I was enjoying the work. I really enjoy the, the, uh, the teaching. I really enjoy, honestly, the team building inside YNAB and uh, trying to hire great people. I've enjoyed the business aspect tremendously. And so I've been able to continually learn in this kind of entrepreneurial gig and to me, I always tell Julie, she said, would you ever stop? You know, what mode? And I said, well, I'll, I would stop definitely if I stopped learning interesting things. But, uh, you know, right now I'm learning about book launches and how uh, weird those are, you know. So I'm just learning new things and and I'm enjoying it. And I've learned how to run a company at 10 people and I'm learning how to run a company at 55 or 60 people. And that's that's been enough to keep me going. So I, I love seeing people you know, they write in, they'll tell us, Hey, this, this saved us, or this was you know a big deal for us. And we were able to do all these different things. I mean, we really have an impact on people's lives. So you're doing good in the world. You're making money that's able to provide for your, yourself and your family and you're learning stuff every day. And I just think, Oh man, I've, I've got a good gig, you know, wouldn't change it for the world. So we're kind of running back and forth in this conversation, but I, 
want to pause that's again. And, uh, no, <laughs> this, actually, this is how our podcast rolls. And it's this is okay. Okay, we're good. <laughs> absolutely great stuff. So, but that's actually it's probably my fault because I'm just interested in the actual method itself so much, and I just want to return for a minute to. You know, you, you you breezed through the four rules in a great overview, and we talked about you know that number one of assigning every dollar a job. The other one that I'm you know really curious about because once you get to like three and four, they do seem very intuitive kind of follow ups to the first two. But you know, number two, you have your this concept of embracing your true expenses and you know breaking your money up into monthly things so that you can afford you know your own life. Is this something that? accountants just know because this kind of seemed like clandestine knowledge until you know it was laid out there of you know handle your major expenses this way yeah i i mean it's funny because to some they they hear it and they think well duh you know but to most uh it doesn't seem that way i mean uh you've got the holidays that come every year you know if you celebrate christmas it comes december 25th without fail never switches on you you know so you you have like these fixed things that continually surprise us from a financial standpoint and that so you do wonder like gosh why are we all a little bit crazy here where christmas just tends to sneak up on us or taxes or you know life insurance premiums or even summer swimming you know lessons or whatever it could be so that part of it, you think, why aren't we thinking about this better? But at the end of the day, it goes back to rule one, goes back to that proactive looking ahead. Most people are too stressed and too overwhelmed and too much in the here and now with their money to even think in March, gosh, what should I do about Christmas? It's just so far afield for them. You can't really expect them to say, hey, we'll spend uh, 1200 bucks this year. So let's set aside $100 each month and have that money. It's it's mathematically obvious. It's obvious to some accountants, not all, but to someone stressed and living paycheck to paycheck, it's just not on their radar. And so, if you can get them thinking ahead, and and then you teach them that principle about you know again like setting you up for a good hike. Hey, what's going to be coming? Like there's this long stretch, you know, where there's no running water for a while. So what do we do about that? It's like okay, we'll carry a little more. You know, we'll bring some filters. There's questionable sources here. And you started assessing that to where a hike is boring. Everyone, if, you, if you're going on a hike, you want a boring hike. And I say, if you're managing money, you want the, the money to be boring, really boring. So when Christmas comes, it's like every other month. When uh, the roof falls in, it's like every other month. You don't want it to fall in, right? But it does. And as far as how it affects your cash flow, it doesn't. More money goes out, but you had that money set aside already. So we want it to be as boring as possible. And rule two, where you're embracing your true expenses, you're just looking ahead and thinking about that future version of yourself and saying, what is that guy going to run into? Could I kind of start setting aside little piles of money that will grow over time so that he'll have a big pile when he wants to go backpack Europe next year? You know, that, that kind of thing. So it's, it's, yeah, I like how you said kind of clandestine knowledge. It feels that way a little bit, but then once people get it, they're like, oh my word, why have I not done this my whole life? So maybe that's what wisdom is, right? Once you hear it, it seems super obvious. Maybe that means you're onto something. I just remember a couple of years ago when I realized that I tended to have a major car expense about every eight to 10 months. And just yeah. su- suddenly kind of it just clicked. Have I realized of, wait a minute, if I have $50 every month that's put aside for this, this is all, this is all, this is not like the harbinger of doom. This is 
a thing that's just coming and I can kind of greet it though I, as I would a person who I have no real relationship with and the cash is yeah. all there and I'm on back in my car and on with my life. So since we're here and they just seem to get more intuitive, the next one that you wrote down that you put out there is roll with the punches, is be flexible. I'm, I'm almost curious, why did you need the rule of roll with the punches when it almost seems even more so than, you know, embracing your expenses, like something a person would just do. Yeah. That one is probably my favorite rule. Uh, it's hilarious that it has to be a rule because the rule, roll with the punches, I mean, in boxing, it's like you move in the same direction as your opponent's punch so that you can stay on your feet. It lessens the blow, right? So there's that, that metaphor there that we use, but it, that's just marketing. What we're really talking about is change your mind if you want to, you know, like change your budget as needed. So roll with the punches that life throws at you. So if the car tire blows and you realize oh, I need a little bit more in my, my tire fund, you'll shuffle money around. You'll move a little bit, maybe from more discretionary categories, maybe from a little bit entertainment or a vacation that's pretty far off. So you're thinking, oh, I can catch up to that vacation fund a little bit. So I'll pull from that. And you just, you're just shuffling money around and you're playing the game, you know, the game of life where you just, uh, you know, something happens and then you're like, oh, I don't deal with this. And for some reason we had to make it a rule because people would feel like once they typed into that software or wrote down on that piece of paper, this is what I'm going to spend on groceries. You know, it's $600. It was like they, they had signed a blood oath with it, you know, and, and they felt like they had failed as soon as they overspent. And this fear of failure would then quickly translate into this doesn't work. And then they wouldn't blame themselves. They would blame budgeting the idea. They would say, oh, budgeting doesn't work. And to me, I'm like, okay, we can't have that happen. Like people, people cannot blame the budget. They already think it's going to be like a prison and it's not. So what, you know, how do we reframe this? And so we basically started making it a positive for people. We said, oh, you changed it? Good job. Now you're really budgeting, you know, and they were like, wait, wait, what, what are you like? I'm, I'm supposed to feel guilty. My perfection is kicked in. Like, what are you talking about? And we were like, no, no, the perfect budget is just the budget that always is adjusting to whatever's coming. And then suddenly people with their eyes light up and they're like, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this then, you know, because I'm having to move things around all the time. And it's just the way life is. I mean, at the beginning of the month, you say, I'm going to spend 600 bucks on groceries. And then 10 days in, you know, something crazy happens that you never could have foreseen. And you have to move money around. That's just, that's life. You, everyone, if, if any of you guys are sports fans, I'm sure there are plenty of sports fans listening. If you were to watch like uh, your favorite coach and they made no adjustments to the other team, like they have this game plan and all this perfect, and they've been practicing for a week for the game. And it's like all this strategy. You're like, okay, perfect. Coach knows what he's doing. And then when the game starts to happen and the opponent starts doing all these other things, the coach has to respond. So they have halftime adjustments. So you have coaches that are interviewed. What are you going to do for the second half? What do you, you know, they're just talking about, well, what adjustments are we going to make? I would be screaming at the TV if they were watching their favorite coach who just doggedly stuck to that game plan and not taking into account the new information of how is my opponent behaving in the moment. So we try and, I mean, we mentioned chess earlier too. You know, you, you play your knight or you play your pawn out or whatever, and then your opponent responds and how they play dictates what you do next. And that's exactly how budgeting should be. You have a plan, you know how you're going to open. And then as soon as you see your opponent, or in this case, 
life kind of start to make its own moves, you adjust accordingly. So yeah, it had to be a rule, kind of weird that it did, but I'm really glad that it is because it gives people license, kind of permission to not feel that guilt about changing their budget. So that's a long answer probably, but that's the idea behind it. It, it works wonders for people that are perfectionists. And for some reason, newbie budgeters suddenly have decided they want to be perfect budgeters as well. And it, it can be a bad combination when you're first getting started. Oh, totally. It feels like being slightly melodramatic, but I'm thinking of the the axiom, no battle plan survives contact with the enemy. And it, yeah, it, there you go. somehow enemy <laughs> is daily life. And I, there's something that's almost... I like that. I'm going to use that. That's yeah. A good hey, one. there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there's something fragile about that lack of flexibility, right? Like if you have to adhere to these things, it almost just feels like this really, really thin walled house that can just get totally flattened with a little bit of shaking. But that flexibility, that that grace, that permission to to roll the punches and change things around is is super freeing. Like it, I feel like the bar can feel so high for people to begin managing their money, begin managing their budget, do things well. I certainly felt I you're describing the person who starts off budgeting and then becomes a perfectionist. That described me pretty well. Of like, okay, things haven't yeah. been working. I'm gonna start this new thing. And the first time that you overspend, that I overspend, it was like, whoa okay, the whole thing either collapses because the bar is so high or you have that flexibility of like, no, there's grace. You can totally adapt. And that actually is really, really empowering. Like I, that, it's funny that it's a rule, but it's actually, my gosh, that rule applies to so many other categories in life. It's just, oh yeah, it's amazing. I'm still using it all the time. And we're here, we planned this New York trip. We're out here for a while and we'll be here for three months and we've been saving up for it because we knew okay it's going to be expensive when we come out so we've been saving for over a year and i had it all budgeted out and ready to go and we blew through our first month's budget november by like the 20th of the month and i'm like julie we we gotta we gotta make some adjustments you know so we're saying okay we got to eat out a little less we wanted to eat out because part of the reason we're out here like we got to experience this right but at the same time, she and I are thinking, okay, maybe a little less eating out, a little more eating in, do some groceries and stuff, and just kind of making adjustments. But that's just, I mean, yeah, that's just the way it is. So, you know, you learn as you go and be really patient with yourself, and it works out just fine. The The process is the magic, not this, like you said, this kind of paper house. You, you, there's like this fake accuracy that people get attached to. They're like, I'm going to spend $619 and 42 cents. And like, there's this, you know, you can take money to an accuracy of, you know, cents, right? And that's not real. It's, it's much more like if you're watching my wife's mom, when she bakes, she's just kind of like little of this, little of that. You're like, how do you make this? She's like, oh, you just do a little of this. And you're like, you can't say, you got to give me a recipe, like one cup, two, you know, hundred grams, whatever it is. And, but that's how she, she bakes how people should budget where you're just like, okay, this feels good. I'll put a little of this, a little of that in. See how it goes. Okay, I like it. Maybe make an adjustment. We don't want this recipe, and we want to, you know, pretend we're a top chef or something, and it just doesn't work out that way. So, so good. We've nailed three. Let's go ahead and hit four. Age your money. Why is it important to age your money? Or I guess, you know, you have four opportunities to impart a serious principle of money to people. Why does age your money work? It seems to get a lot done. But it's not immediately clear why simply not spending cash for a little while can actually help you be in control in the long run. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, So for people that are brand new to it, the idea is the age of your money is this metric that we measure. And you'll look and say, okay, I earned this money 
yesterday. So that money is one day old. And then you go out and spend it. So you say you just spent money that was one day old. If you uh, waited 30 days and then went out, uh, you know, got some sushi and you spent the money, then you'd say, I just spent money that's 30 days old. And the person that spends it that's one day old is far more stressed than the person that's spending money that's 30 days old, all, all else equal. And this metric, uh, I'd never seen it measured before, but I liked it. The reason I, I like it, and so we kind of made it up. I don't know, kind of, we did, we made it up. And the idea was just to show people how far from the paycheck to paycheck cycle they're operating. And if they're, if they have more distance between the time that they had the money and the time that they needed the money or used it, there's that, that time is just a time for either great stress. If it's a low amount, you know, you're operating like, I mean, people honestly are spending money before they've earned it. They're, they're running a credit card up and then waiting for the paycheck to save them from that. And that's a recipe for disaster. So if you can get to where you earn money and you just kind of think to yourself, gosh, I don't even need that for a while. So if paycheck comes a day late or direct deposit does something funky, it just wouldn't even matter. We've had people write in and say, hey, our employer, I mean, heaven forbid this would ever happen as if you're an employer, but uh, you know, we missed payroll and all these employees are freaking out, rightfully so, because you've worked, you need to be paid. And this guy wrote in and said, I wasn't freaking out. They said it'd be delayed, you know, until the Monday and we'd be all okay then. Um, I'd be a little worried for the employer. You know, like, you'd be like, okay, should I dust off my resume? But that aside, you know, he was just saying, I didn't have to worry because the you know, paycheck was only three days late, where other people were genuinely scrambling because the money was going to land three days later. And that's, and other people, meaning most other people, would be scrambling. So, if you feel that way now and you're listening, you're like, oh gosh, I couldn't go three days late on a paycheck. That just means you're operating right along the, the edge where uh, things are very stressful. If anything breaks, if anything goes not quite according to your plan, you have a crisis. And we're just trying to get, again, like money's got to be boring. So we're just trying to make it really boring. And if it's 30 to 60 days old when you're using it, uh, super boring situation. And that's exactly what we want. It's phenomenal. You mentioned when you're talking about the things that are satisfying to you in your company currently that one of them is this opportunity to teach. Do you have favorite topics that you like to teach on or is it the act of teaching that just gets you? I, I enjoy speaking like publicly, like over a podcast, that's pretty fun, but I would much rather enjoy if you and I were chatting uh, or, you know, the three of us could chat somewhere, you know, face to face. It would just be it's just far more fun. You get a little bit more energy, you know, and I'm sure you guys know this from your podcast. You're kind of thinking, okay, I know there are people out there, but boy, it should be nice to, to like feel the audience every once in a while, you know, in this way that's kind of live. So I enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, I enjoy the writing, uh, tremendously. And I, I've really enjoyed lately, um, kind of more the internal side of things like teaching our team and thinking about how we're running the business and stuff like that. But favorite topics, uh, lately I've, I'm teaching more business owners and it's just kind of happened organically how to run their business on these four rules. And that's been really, really fun for me just because I went through that transition myself fairly recently with my own business. And, and so I just has me excited about doing that for other business owners as well. Wow. Is that going to be in the book or is there going to be a YNAB for business owners <laughs> you know, coming out in a year yeah, or so? It, it won't be in the book. Yeah, we got we had to keep the book pretty targeted, right? But yeah, this, there's this idea that small businesses, I mean, 
if you think about like a faucet and the faucet is money that's pouring out and everyone's got their personal faucet, but you know, you have a business owner that they own, they own a business and then they've got their personal faucet and I can fix their personal faucet. Like the flow's nice and everything. And, and you're diverting it appropriately and they're less stressed. But if I can fix the bigger flow, that is their business that just the, the effect is far greater. And that's what has me excited about fixing businesses. So, I mean, small businesses fail so often. The number one reason is cash flow and uh, not sales. It's, it's not like, oh, they didn't land enough sales. I mean, sometimes you, you have someone that doesn't work or whatever, but most of the time it's just cash. You know, they run out of cash. And that's usually a sign of mismanagement. Not, not that they're not trying, you know, not that they're uh, not like giving it their best, but just, you know, to start a business, you don't need to necessarily know how to manage cash. So you can, you know, you can get yourself out there and, and get yourself into situations that could have been avoided. And that's where I like to think we could make an impact is in, in teaching, teaching owners like, man, if you can get these rules down here at this level, it's just not only will it change your life, but it will change you know, your whole team's life as the business is more stable. And uh, I, I think in the end can be far more successful as well. Wow. Just it's been phenomenal. I think the kind of summary question I'd love to throw out there is we've, you know, given at the beginning, you know, you have your your 10 second pitch to hook someone of cash in their account and then what do they want it to do? I'm wondering if, you know, sometimes it's easier to not do things than to do things. And if, you know, you could wave a wand over a guy who's in his late 20s trying to figure out budgeting and you could just get him to stop doing one thing or you could change one misconception about handling his cash what would that look like oh boy hmm. i could just wave a wand and have some kind of nugget of understanding that would just be planted and immediately understood exactly yeah but you get paid for waving the wand so don't worry about that well i want to go two two routes one is you have just assumptions people have made that keep them from doing things. And one assumption that I would love to just expel from the earth is the assumption that I don't make enough. That's why I'm stressed. And if I could just have that be gone, where this person said, instead said, I make enough, why am I stressed? Then I, I feel like that would just do wonders. And I would they wouldn't have to come to me to change. They could go to any... They could go to the blogosphere and change, but just knowing I make enough, what do I do to stop this crazy situation I'm in where I make enough and yet I'm still stressed? That would probably be the best starting point because then they're ready to move. Um, when you, I'm, I'm just trying to get rid of the apathy component. And so I was, uh, in that way, I was trying to think, okay, how do you get rid of apathy? And the biggest source of apathy is people just saying it won't matter anyway because I don't make enough money. And it's just simply not true. We, we live in a country, I don't know if your listeners are all in the U.S. or close, but we live in a country where we, we are so, so blessed that you really have to speak to all the people that, and then just say, we have enough. Like, it's just about what you do with it that really matters. So, yeah, I would attack the apathy, and I think that's that's one source that I'd go after first. Yeah, that's a killer your source. Your question was a lot better than my answer, but... Uh, no I'm way. I think more about that question too. It's good. <laughs> I think if we could actually get that to land home, I think even with me personally on some months, that that would be a game changer. <laughs> Seriously. 
Jesse, it's been really, really good. Thank you for, for giving us a little bit of your time and sharing something that it, it's it's new for Blaine and I, and I wish it wasn't that new, but I know that this is something that our listeners are going to get a lot out of. Where would you send them at the end of this? If somebody wanted to find out more, if they were interested, if they're intrigued, where should they go? Yeah. So the, the website that, where you find everything is you need a budget.com. Uh, if you just want, I mean, if you want to try our tool, you'd go there, you could sign up. We do a free 30, 34 days there. If you are just kind of saying, I'm not interested in the tool, but more of the book, I would really encourage you to check out the book and it's, it's available, uh, right now for, for pre-order through Amazon, but it'll be, you know, in all the bookstores and everything. So, and it's, it's the same name. You need a budget. We, we really believe it. We try and be a little bit cheeky about that title and say so, yeah, either the book or the website, you'll find us, find us there. Awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Jesse. Absolutely. Thanks guys. 